0: We are still, we're going we're gonna to finish talking about, uh, or finish this little um, uh, excerpt here before we get into the, the, the rest of the seventh bowl judgment. But this part is so cool. I was so excited. If I get into Revelation 19, not that 17 and 18 were bad, but I'm done talking about Babylon. Like, uh, I mean, you know, it was, it was wonderful. It's wonderful to see. Uh, the the kingdoms of the earth falling and uh, the world system being done away with and watching Babel be judged by the Lord. Uh, But from this point forward, almost everything from this point forward is, I feel like, all the good stuff. You know what I mean? This is where you see the throne room of of God again. You see uh, everyone exalting Christ and and the Lord and, and singing that triumphant song that we talked about a long time ago in Revelation 14. And then you're going to see the return of Christ. Um, there is still judgment that will happen at the return of Christ and even after uh, the, the thousand-year kingdom. But, I mean, I just feel like from here on out, 19, 20, 21, 22, this is like, this is why we read Revelation. This is, the, this is it. This is the return of our king. This is uh, the beginning of all the, the great stuff that happens uh, here at the very end. So all that being said, I know last week, uh, there was a lot. We covered a whole chapter. I mean, it was 20, 24, I think, verses. I can't remember. But so, And I know we didn't have time for questions at the end. We'll try to do that today, too, because I'm sure there are going to be questions. Uh, there's even things, as I was studying this week, that I, I never had to actually put mind and thought to that really tweaked and clarified some of my own thinking when it comes to the end. Uh, and again, I want to say that out the gate, too, is uh, studying end times is always fun. It's, it's a wonderful study. It's, it's a joyful study. But we always got to remember that we're taking these things. that The Lord's told us about things that will come, uh, some, some things that we can't just nail down and say, this is exactly what that will look like. But we can't say it will happen exactly like he has said it will happen. Um, but the whole point of those things is so that we then look at our lives today, our thinking, our living, our families, the way we're working, and we're going, are we living in expectation of this according to what we're talking about? Is, is, it, it needs to be impacting our thinking and our living today. It's not just, uh, hey, let's figure this stuff out because it's fascinating. It's, it's let's figure this out so that we can live rightly today in holiness and in, in, in submission to Jesus Christ so that we're taking advantage of the moments we're living rightly here today in, in our families uh, and at work, at home, wherever it may be. So I just always want to throw that out there. It's just easy, especially in eschatology, especially when you're a long time in eschatology, like we've been in this class, uh, to forget, like, there, there's a reason that Christ gave us this stuff here now. Um, and it's, it's not just to, to think and ponder and walk out the door and and nothing changes. It's for us to see these things, to rejoice, and then go, I need to live uh, in obedience to him today. So, so today we're going to get into Revelation 19. We're going to look at the first 10 verses, and we're calling this Hallelujah, the Marriage of the Lamb. Uh, and, and you'll see why I titled it that soon, because this is all the hallelujahs in the New Testament. And then we're going to see this whole marriage of the Lamb, which, like I said, is a, a wonderful and, and a neat part of the Bible. Actually, before we start, I totally forgot about the snack thing. So we, uh, the, uh, we had uh, the um, uh, We're saying it would be really cool. If we, if we did like a snack sign up, because we all get hungry. I'm starving right now. And, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's what made me think about it. <laughs> and uh, it might be nice to have some snacks you know to tide us over until lunch. So I didn't prepare. I don't have a snack sign up. It's a good thought. But before we leave today, someone that's organized and is like, hey, I'll get out a piece of paper and write down snack sign up on it. Want to do that? And uh, we, should, uh, we should do that. <laughs> Putting it on you to bring me some snacks because I'm starving. <laughs> but I, I think that would be a good idea. We got the coffee. We just need the donuts or, I don't know, something. I'm starving. All right, there we go. <laughs> Zelda, snacks sign up, lady. <laughs> all right, so, uh, so see, Zelda, sign up for snacks. You can pass it around if you. Oh, it's getting past her. Look at that. We're on top of it. We did this exact thing. This is Soldiers and Grace is uh-huh. and we did that same thing. Nice. What else did they do at Sojourners? <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. We'll talk later. <laughs> I'm new to this. Snacks is step one. <laughs> All right. I think that's a great idea. We'll, we'll get a little table here, and hopefully next week. Thank you for bringing that up. That was a great idea. Uh, hopefully next week we'll have some snacks. All right. So where were we? Oh, yeah. Hallelujah, the marriage of the Lamb. So Revelation 19. So if you want to open your Bibles Revelation 19, um, and let me just do a little quick recap to get you back into the mindset, because we're in the middle of, of this uh, uh, interpolation here at the very end of Revelation. And we also, um, uh, this, this will, at the end of this uh, verse 10, we actually get back into talking about the content of the, the seventh bold judgment, which I was in here with you guys. Joel taught that at the end of Revelation 16. And so it's almost like this, this part that we've been doing the last three weeks uh, in the encounter today, uh, it was like we pulled out, we looked at Babylon, we looked at this judgment, and then we're going to dive back in and, and start seeing the, the narrative uh, or the, the chronology of the seventh bowl judgment. So Revelation 17:1 through 19:10, like I said, uh, is, is basically uh, a little um, insert there. And, and I, I think I've said this a few times. It's similar to Revelation 12 through 14 uh, where um, the Lord kind of pulls John out of the chronology, gives him this big overview picture of of Israel and, and Satan and the whole basic, basic, basic uh, messianic history, you know, how God uh, made Israel and, and, and Satan, the dragon, tried to stop Israel and then, stop the, and then the child, and the child was taken up to heaven, sits at God's right hand now, and then Satan, it, it, uh, because he wasn't able to do anything there, goes after the world trying to destroy all the children of the woman, which is all those who believe in God. And so it kind of showed the whole history of Israel and even, even talking about how God will um, help Israel during the tribulation and then ultimately uh, redeem uh, the nation of Israel. And so this is kind of the same thing, but focused on a different city. Instead of the, the, the people of God, the city of Israel, the city of Zion, if you wanna say it that way, the, what, what God's doing with the, the messianic uh, line. Here we're talking about the, the kingdom of the world, uh, Babylon chapter 17, it kind of focuses on the religious and political powers behind Babylon. It kind of gives you a, a, a big picture of this is always the world system. This has always been happening. Um, even has hints all the way back from Babel all the way through to this world system that we talked about uh, Satan being the, the ruler of this world, the, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, uh, that the spirit of the Antichrist is always at work. Uh, and it's only at the end that he's given the, um, the, t- the, the timing of the Lord and the ability by God to actually give his power to a person who becomes the Antichrist and unites this uh, the world religions and the political powers into his final kingdom, uh, and then ultimately actually destroys the religious system and sets him out, himself up as God for all the world to worship and, and uh, him. And so... Chapter 17 focuses on the religious and political powers behind Babylon. Chapter 18 focuses on the economic or commercial aspects of Babylon. We saw that last week where it was all the the, the luxuries, the lusts, the desires of the world, the, the ivory and the gold and the linens and the, the, uh, the cattle and just all the things that come from this world that have made the people of this world rich, that have been part of the uh, allurement of the world, and it just all crumbles before their eyes. And the world is lamenting and mourning as Babylon, the city of Babylon falls. Um, and we talked a little bit about, and this is something like I said, some of the stuff that I've never had to actually think through until you're wrestling with the text. and but you're watching Babylon fall, but many kings of the earth, uh, merchants of the earth, are mourning, which means they weren't part of that fall. That can't be the return of Christ. It's not that. So, the, this the city falls before the return of Christ because that's what we're going to talk about in nineteen um, and so uh, so whether the Antichrist himself does that uh, or it's part of the judgment of God because he's they're all getting ready to march out to the plains of Megiddo for the whole Armageddon battle um, and he will be there for that whatever it may be is still part of god's plan and we even saw how the Lord uses the antichrist uh, and, and his desire to be worshipped to, to wipe out false religions so that you know they're their their wills combined there for a short time the will of god to abolish false religion the will the antichrist to be worshipped and you put that together and the antichrist actually does the will of god wiping out false religion which is always what satan and and uh the enemies of god do ultimately is they're always accomplishing god's will even though they're desiring to fight against his will and not submit to him and that's the wonderful sovereignty of our lord so all that being said, like I said, Revelation 17, we talked about the fall of Babylon, the religious, the political system, how uh, the, the political system basically, in a sense, wipes out the religious system. Last week, we talked about God's destruction of the commercial or economic Babylon. We talked about the judgment of God being declared, and then we, we stepped through the different things uh, as he describes that judgment. We talked about there was one final call of Exodus. He calls Anyone who has ears to hear, if there's anyone left to leave, he tells his people get out of the city. but He's going to destroy it. Uh, he talked about his ex- his reasoning or his explanations of why the judgment was coming, the uh, the the um, immorality and the the idolatry uh, of Babylon. Uh, they de- he described the judgment, and then he talked about the in- the judgment of God on the city of Babel being enjoyed by a particular group. And I wanted to throw that verse back up there because I think that's what we're gonna begin to see today in chapter 19. So in the middle of this judgment, not the middle, near the end of this judgment, there was this verse, last chapter 18, where he says, rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And we talked about Part of the judgment of God against the city of Babylon, against Babel as a whole, is because all of the blood of all of the saints throughout all of the ages was on her shoulders, if you want to say it that way, on the harlot's uh, shoulders, and, and it was her who was behind all the, the martyrs of all the people of God. And uh, finally, God is pouring out his judgment on the world uh, and giving them back. Uh, repaying them for what they have uh, done. And again, the harlot being the, the city of Babel. And so you got the, the world falling apart around um, everyone here, and they're lamenting and they're mourning because their riches and their luxuries and their cultures and their religion and their life here on earth is just is being decimated before their eyes. And simultaneously, there's an eruption of joy in heaven because God is finally repaying the, the, the world and the world system and the rulers of the world for, for what they have done to the saints of God. And, you, and we talked about this last week, too, how Jeremiah 50 and 51, uh, there, there's a few places, Isaiah 13, 14, 47, 48, Jeremiah 50 and 51 are all pictures of Babylon, the, of, of former Babylon that, that the, uh, the Medo-Persians uh, destroyed and Alexander the Great came in and, and kind of finished the work. But there's things in there that talk about the destruction of Babylon that didn't happen, which we said point forward to a future Babylon that must exist, which is what I think we're talking about here. But one of the things in Jeremiah 51 that's very similar to uh, 1820 that we just talked about is in Jeremiah 51, 48 to 49, it says that heaven and earth... And all that is in them will shout for joy over Babylon, for the destroyers will come to her from the north, declares the Lord. Indeed, Babylon is to fall for the slain of Israel. And also for, uh, for Babylon, the slain of all the earth, have fallen. And so again, I think this is articulating the exact same thing that we're talking about in Revelation eighteen twenty, And the reason behind this eruption of joy that we're gonna see here in chapters 19, one through 10, all of heaven is rejoicing because God is finally pouring out his wrath uh, on, on uh, this world for destroying his people. And so we're going to see today this heavenly perspective as the Lord completes his judgment on the city of Babylon. And we're going to see all those who have died in Christ rejoicing in heaven uh, in the destruction of this world system, in the world religions, in the world culture, in the city of Babylon. And there's a fourfold hallelujah uh, followed by a wedding feast. And, and, and I'm, I'm going to jump ahead here, so I'm going to try to stay, stick with the notes. Uh, but it's really cool because you see these hallelujah proclamations that are unique uh, in all of the New Testament. And then you see this wedding feast. And then after that, the saints of God return with Christ to this planet as Christ comes, at, comes to, to rule and to reign on this earth for a thousand years. Uh, and they come to inherit what rightfully belongs to, to him and to them. So... Revelation 19, and I thought um, the way we're going to divide it up is this: you got this four hallelujah proclamations. You got the first two in 19:1 through 3. You got a third one in 19:4. You have a fourth one in 19 verses 5 through 6. And then you have this marriage of the Lamb in verses 7 through 10. And so, um, and I'll, you'll see why we put the first two together in a second. But before we jump in, I was going to read the whole 19:1 through 10, but I thought it would be appropriate to actually jump back to Revelation 5. And I know I did this with you guys. When we were in Revelation 14, we we had a little glimpse. There was two or three verses in Revelation 14 that gave us a glimpse of the throne room of God and this triumphant song that had been happening there, if you look in the book of Revelation, ever since Revelation 5. Not that's not happening currently in time there now, but when we're looking at the book of Revelation, you see this uh, I'm sorry, Revelation 4, you begin to see this worship before the throne of God as John is taken to heaven. And then this, this we called it the triumphant song that continued to grow and increase throughout the book of Revelation. And Revelation 19 is, is the coda. It's the end. It's the, it's the culmination. It's the, f- the final piece of the song before the actual return of Christ. So I thought this, I'm, and I know I fly. I know I talk too fast. Please forgive me. But we're going to fly <laughs> uh, and just look at, I'm going to put it up here. We can't read the whole thing, but this would be such a good thing to go and to just study. Just look at this song before the throne of God that just goes throughout the whole book of Revelation. Because today, in Revelation 19, 1 through 10, it ends. Not that it ends, there's no more praising. It just means we're, we're done in heaven, kind of in a sense, and we're coming to earth. And we're going to praise and worship here on earth after that. But uh, Revel- 5, 8 through 14, it says, when he had taken the book, the four living creatures, the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, these are the, 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 the elders and the, the cherub around the throne of God, they're each holding a harp, golden bowls, which were the prayers of the saints, this is going to come up, uh, and they sang a new song, and I remember talking about that with you guys, we looked at the new song in the Bible, and this song of salvation that, that runs through the Psalms, and that they're singing now the salvation that comes through Christ. And they say, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals. You were slain and you purchased for God with your blood, men from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And it says, Then then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. And the number of them were myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands. Again, Carrie just read about this, you know, in Hebrews twelve, which was so cool. I was like, We're gonna talk about that today. So uh So you got all these angels and you got the elders and you got the cherub on the throne and they're all saying or singing with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created uh, created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, all things in them I heard saying to him who sits on the throne into the land be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying uh, amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So you got this, this is the beginning, but just, you have all things worshiping him, and they're around the throne and they're worshiping him. And then, you know, we get into the, 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 um, uh, the seals. The seals start being broken in Revelation 6 and 7, and God pours out his judgment on earth. And then we're pulled back out in Revelation 7 to this throne room again. And the song continues and here more people join in the song it says after these i look behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation all tribes peoples and tongues standing before the throne they're all crying out with a loud voice salvation uh, to our god who sits on the throne and all the angels were singing the four living creatures and the elders are there still and they're saying amen blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and then it identifies this new group that's there at the throne one of the elders said who are these clothes in white he says well you know And he says, these are the ones that came out of the great tribulation. So when the song began in Revelation 4 and 5, you have everyone that's in heaven, the raptured church, the angels, the elders, everyone there singing. And now those who died during the tribulation join them in the song. So the song continues as the heavenly uh, crowd or or people gets larger. Uh, And then you have um, uh, this at the very end of Revelation or beginning of Revelation 8 right when he breaks the seventh seal, so the last piece of the judgment of God, uh, which then we looked at the seven trumpets and inside that the bulls, it says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So this song is happening during all the judgments of God, except for this half hour. And I think this is, this is just a, a, a moment of silence before the, the final unleashing of God's wrath and then the return of Christ. But, uh, and we're, we're there. So uh, Revelation 11 where we you know we did the the uh, trumpet judgments and now we're in revelation 11 uh, and it says the seventh angel sounded there were loud voices in heaven saying the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord so we're back at the throne room again sorry Um, and the 24 elders are there Uh, they fall on their faces are giving thanks to the lord and he and they say you have taken your great power and you've begun to reign so at the end of the seventh trumpet Christ's reign begins, if you want to say it that way, and, they're, and everyone is there worshiping uh, at the throne again. And he goes on to say, and the nations were enraged, your wrath came, the time came for the dead to be judged. And again, this is the stuff we've been talking about in Babylon and what we're going to talk about when Christ returns. Uh, but this is just, uh, it, it's, it's really, this is the end. Um, but then we get, you know, all the details uh, of the bowls and all that uh, filled in there. He says, your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, it's time for them to be rewarded, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth, which, again, is what we talked about with this whole Babylon thing and what we'll see at Armageddon. And the temple of God, which is in heaven, was opened. The ark of his covenant appeared in his temple. There were flashes of light and sounds and pills of thunder, an earthquake and a great hailstorm, which, again, is part of this sixth bowl judgment that you guys read about in Revelation 16. And then we go into the bowls. I'm sorry, uh, we, we, um, uh, we go into the... Um, the 12 through 14, the, the history of Israel, the whole you know, woman and the dragon and all that. And then Revelation 14, which is what we got to study together when I was in here back in April, he says, then I looked and behold, the lamb was standing on Mount Zion with them 144,000, the ones that were sealed by God that make it through the whole tribulation without dying uh, and they're there with Christ on Mount Zion with his name written on them. And then he says, I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters. That's a, You're going to see that today. Like the sound of a loud thunder, which we're going to see that today. The sound of harpists playing on their harps. They sang a new song. Here's the new song again. Before uh, the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders, there they are again. No one can learn the song except for the 144,000 who have been purchased from the earth. So now they join into the song. These that did not die, that are on the earth, that were uh, saved by God through the tribulation. Jewish people that make it through the tribulation as his witnesses and as those who proclaim his gospel message. And now they're singing uh, together with those who are in heaven. Uh, In Revelation 15, we see one more time. Uh, uh, this, this throne room of God, the wrath of God being, being, being churned up, ready to be poured out. And again, here they are singing the song of Moses, the song of God, the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your works, O God, the Almighty, righteous and true your ways. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name, for you alone are holy, for all the nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And basically, after that, that's when you have the bowls, that's when you get into the Babylon stuff that we talked about, and then we this is the last time before you know, Christ returns that you're at the throne of God, and this is where we're at today. Revelation 19, after these things, something like a loud voice, a great multitude in heaven, here we are again at the throne room of God in this triumphant song that has been running all through Revelation, and we're at the very, very end. Everybody's there, we're all there, and he says, uh, they say, hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God because his judgments are true and righteous for he has judged the great harlot who was corrupting the earth with her immorality and he has avenged the blood of his bond servants on her. So now we know what that means because that's what we've been studying. And he says in a second time, they said, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever. And then, look at this, here they are again, the 24 elders and the four living creatures fall, fell down and worship God, who sits on the throne, saying, Amen. They're in agreement, and they say, Hallelujah, once more. And then, this next group, a voice came from the throne, saying, Give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, you who fear him, small and great. And, and then I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. It's just awesome. I, again, just, just looking at it through the whole book of Revelation and watching the crowd grow, watching the, 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 the prophecies being fulfilled, and just seeing it now in that context, you see how amazing this song of joy, this triumphant song, that is there before the throne. And, and, and again, right after this, the marriage of the lamb and then and Christ returns. And so this is kind of the, like I said, the coda, the end, the culmination of this heavenly song. And so, uh, and, and, uh, and so what we're gonna look at is first this song and what they're singing and what it means. And the first thing is um, verses 19, or sorry, chapter 19 verses one through three, uh, you have the angels singing And uh, we're going to look at what they're saying and what this means. He says, After these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, because his judgments are true and righteous, for he has judged the great harlot, corrupting the earth with her immorality, and avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. And a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever. After these things is something that John, this has happened a few times in Revelation, Revelation 4, 7, 15, and 18, and it basically just changes subjects and begins to show you a new vision. You know, the focus was on the earth. The focus was on Babel and then the city of Babylon. And after these things, now we're back in heaven at the throne room of God. So these next... Uh, The the next, basically, chapter is going to show, or half this chapter is going to show what's happening at the throne room. And then there will be a focus on the earth again when Christ bursts the heavens open and comes and judges. But right now we're in heaven. It says a loud voice uh, uh, says these things. Uh, A loud voice of a great multitude in heaven. 21 times in Revelation there have been loud voices. Sometimes this is the voice of God. Sometimes this is the voice of an angel proclaiming something for everyone to hear, things like that. Um, so, But here you have a voice, um, and uh, most likely here is it's a combined voice of all these angels because it identifies uh, the voice, it says the voice of a great multitude in heaven saying these things. Um, and uh, again, this could be everyone, but it looks like as we we're reading through this, it begins with this angelic the angelic hosts, and then you add those around the throne, and then you add in all the saints, and you have everyone worshiping, everyone saying these things at the very end, because the saints are basically invited later to sing. Doesn't mean we have to be dogmatic about it, maybe everyone is singing here, but no matter who it is, it's a a loud voice with a great host, uh, and and it looks like angelic voices saying these things. The thing I wanna focus on is what they're saying, and they're saying here hallelujah, We say this word all the time, we sing it today in one of our songs, Uh, but just knowing what it means helps you to understand what they're saying, and it'll, I think, change the way that you sing it, when you sing hallelujah. Hallelujah is a Greek word, hallelujah, which is a transliteration of a Hebrew phrase, hallel and yah, God, so it's to praise God, so they're praising God. Uh, When you see in the Old Testament, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it's the same thing. Hallelujah is what they're basically saying. And so you see it many times in the Old Testament, 24 times in the Psalms. You see this um, in the Old Testament Psalms, Psalm uh, 104. Well, I don't need to tell you all the different songs. There's basically two groupings of the Psalms. There's the great Hallel Psalms, which are Psalm 104 to 109. If you go read those Psalms, you see a lot of hallelujahs, a lot of praise the Lord. And if you look at the content of what they're praising the Lord for, it's usually judgment of enemies and Redemption of people. Does that make sense? He judges and then he redeems or he saves his people, and the focus is on, on Israel and on. And a lot of these are messianic psalms. Uh, psalms one thirteen through one eighteen are called the Great Hallel's of Egypt because they're the uh, they're 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 again Hallelujah psalms, but focused on how God delivered Israel out of Egypt. So he judged Pharaoh, judged Egypt, and delivered his people out. Does that make sense? So these Hallel psalms are focused on. Judgment and deliverance, judgment and redemption, judgment and salvation, and that's exactly what's happening here in Revelation 19. You have judgment, and then you have the redemption, salvation, deliverance of His people. His bride is coming to inherit what belongs to Him and to her, Um, and so it it makes uh, it's very, very appropriate, and it reminds us of these Hallel psalms from uh, the Old Testament. Revelation 19 is the only time you see in the New Testament these, uh, the, the, the term hallelujah like this. Uh, and, and it's only in Revelation 19, and it's only these four times. And I think it's very appropriate, again, to connect that to the Old Testament and to, to look at these hallelujah declarations and how they're used and why they're used. And Revelation 19 resembles, uh, I didn't write it up here, Psalm 104, 35. Very, it's very similar to that, where uh, in Psalm 104, verse 35... The Lord in one of these Hallel Psalms says, let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And then it says, hallelujah, praise the Lord. And so Psalm 104.35 basically sums up everything we've been talking about in, in Revelation 17, 18, and here in 19. Let the sinners of the earth be consumed the rest of them will be consumed at the end of Revelation 19 when Christ splits the heavens, comes, and the whole Armageddon thing, and he just destroys immediately at his return. Uh, and then the, um, uh, the, the, the righteous, or those who belong to him, uh, will inherit the earth. And so when we see these hallelujahs, that's what you're, that's what you're seeing. All the, the, the angels and the one, those before the throne and all the saints are basically praising the Lord for his destruction of evil and his redemption Uh, of his people and they say salvation and glory and power belong to our god Uh, so these these three things salvation glory and power are what they're they're praising the lord for Um, it reminds me of romans 8 19 through 21 where right now it says for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of god all of creation is waiting for this 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 day of hallelujah For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will also be set free of his slavery. So when Christ redeems us and saves, it brings us back, judges evil, not only are we redeemed, not only are we uh, um, uh, saved and we see the, the, the fruit of his salvation, but creation itself, creation itself will be redeemed by Christ. It says it'll be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of god and hebrews 1 3 also says he jesus is the radiance of his glory he is the exact representation of his power and nature uh, or, i'm sorry of his nature and he upholds all things by the word of his power so here you see the salvation that will come because of of, of christ's return and the redemption of his people uh, uh, glory, which is his splendor, honor, and greatness, and his power, his strength, and his might and ability. The angels are basically uh, proclaiming uh, this hallelujah because of the, the salvation, the glory, and the power of our God. Uh, and, he's, and they say, um, this, this uh, because his judgments are true and righteous. Uh, the word because here basically just signs an, a reason for the hallelujahs, a reason. Uh, For them declaring these things and the reason is that his judgments are true and righteous judges judgments it just means decisions or his uh, distinguishing his discrimination his discerning action the Lord here is discerning and, and judging he's distinguishing good from evil and he does it perfectly our judgments are never perfect sometimes things that we think are righteous aren't righteous. Many times we can look at people's lives and we judge the fruit and we see their lives, but there's things hidden that we don't know about. Sometimes there's people that we look at and, and we, we don't think they're, they're, they're legitimate or they're true because there's remaining sin or whatever, but they belong to God. But God sees all things, knows all things. His judgments are perfect and pure and righteous and, and true every single time. And so when he judges, he judges perfectly. And here he judges the wicked and destroys the wicked and he saves the righteous. And he's not going to make any mistakes in that. Um, His judgments are always true. His judgments are always righteous. So when he discerns, when he divides, when he discriminates, he does it perfectly. Uh, And when it says they're true, it just means they're trustworthy, they're genuine, genuine. When it says they're righteous, it just means they're always correct. They're always right. God's judgment is a perfect judgment. And he saves the righteous and he destroys the wicked and he always redeems his people. And God and his people long for his righteous judgment. We want his judgment. It's like what Carrie said in there. That that, that should be a terrifying thing for the sinner. That God judges perfectly and knows all things. There is no hidden hypocrisy with God. There's nowhere to hide with God. You can do that with other people and you can do that your whole life. But one day we all stand naked before him with nothing, nowhere to hide. And he judges perfectly. And, uh, but those who are belong to him, who have been washed clean by his blood, that's a wonderful thing. Because we know we can't stand before him in our righteous works. We know, like Carrie was saying, we're not trusting in Sinai because we know there's nothing there for us. We're going to Christ, going, I deserve your wrath. I fully know that I should be part of your eternal wrath. And you and your great love and mercy sent your son to wash me clean, to die for my sins. It's, it's by Christ and his blood that we stand there, not by anything that we deserve. And so that's why we don't fear the judgment of God, because the judgment that we deserve was poured out on his son 2,000 years ago. And we stand here as, as broken, mercif- or, or full of his mercy and grace, but just broken bondservants going, we deserve nothing, and thank you for sending your son to die for us. Does that make sense? And, and so we long for his judgment because we know that he will save and redeem all those who belong to him, all those who are bought by his blood. And again, not because we're great, but because his promises are true. And that's one of the greatest promises of the Messiah and of Christ. He will rule and he will reign in righteousness and judgment. All those who belong to him, they will rule and reign with him. Again, not because of anything of worth in us, but because of who he is and what he has done in us and for us. Um, and so... It says his judgments are true and righteous and his judgments, I uh, t- took it off, uh, are that he has um, judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality and he's avenged the blood of his bondservants. So you have the judgment of, of, of the world, the world system, the great harlot and you got the redemption, the salvation of his bondservants and so that's the second reason for the hallelujah. He has judged, it's already been passed, this judgment is finished this great harlot, and again, we're not gonna go back into to that, but, but this, this whole, the whole thing. I mean, you can talk about the city there in chapter 18, but we're talking about Babylon as a whole, Babel as a whole, the harlot, the world system, the false religion, the cultures, the lusts of the world, the allurements of the world, all of it has been judged and perfectly judged by Christ. Um, Robert Thomas, in his commentary, said this, and I thought it was a neat way to say it. He said, the end of the harlot's regime on earth marks the beginning of the bride's enjoyment of the earth's fullness. And that's a really neat way to say it because that's what we're seeing. We're watching the harlot be completely wiped out by God so it prepares the way for his perfect spotless bride to return with him and inherit the earth. The harlot is gone and the bride is coming. That's a really neat way to, to think about Revelation 19 uh, and 20. Um, and so, and he said the harlot was corrupting the earth Uh, The word corrupting here just means destroying, ruining, wasting the earth. I've already said this before. Our enemy is not pollution and global warming. We're not going to save the earth by these silly, silly little things that the world itself, the, the, the thing that is destroying the earth is sin. I mean, God says it right here. What is corrupting, what is destroying, what is wasting and ruining his creation is Sin. So if you want to save the planet, then preach the gospel, and you yourself submit to Jesus Christ. He, so sin destroys the earth, and in the end, he'll wipe out sin. He's going to destroy the world's system, uh, but, but, uh, but then he will be the one that redeems uh, the earth. And, and she destroys it with her idolatry, with her immorality, but with her promiscuity. It's the sin and the evil of this world that destroys it. And like I said, on the other side of it, the positive, he avenges the blood of his bondservants. Uh, to avenge here, it just means to, to, to act in uh, re- revenge. He's going to avenge or punish uh, all of the world because they've shed the blood of his children throughout all the ages. And so here he returns to wipe out sin uh, and to save his people. This is what Revelation 6, I mean, this is, this is the answer to the prayers of the, the 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 slain and the, the fifth seal judgment, if you remember back in Revelation 6, I know it's a long time ago, but he says in Revelation 6, the Lamb broke the fifth seal, and and I don't know if you remember the first four seals are all these like judgments, and then and then the sixth seals more judgment, but this fifth seal is strange because it's like he breaks the seal and it's, it's these saints that were dead that are praying, uh, and and he sees them before the under the altar. These are the ones that were slain because of the word of God, because of the testimony which they had maintained, and they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So their prayer is like, how long? They want vengeance. They want him to return and to avenge their blood. And and he says, and there was given to each of them a white robe, which is significant. We're going to see this very soon. They were told that they should rest for a little while longer, be patient, uh, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they have been, would be complete also. is basically saying, be patient. The harlot needs to, to murder more of your brethren. And when the number of the martyrs is completed, I will avenge all of their blood perfectly. is basically saying. we're there in revelation. This is the avenging of the blood of all of the martyred saints of God. It's what uh, Second Thess- Thessalonians 1, 6-10 talks about. It says, For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to give relief to you who are afflicted, and to us as well when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. Again, here we are in Revelation. Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified with his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who believe. That's that's what's going to happen in Revelation 19, 11 through the end of the chapter. But basically, here we are. All these hallelujah praises because God is about to do what we have all longed for. He's going to avenge the blood of his saints He's going to wipe out wickedness. He's going to return with his bride, and he's going to rule and reign on this earth in righteousness and judgment and peace and truth for a thousand years, and we will be there with him. This is what is happening. And so because of this wonderful, wonderful thing, it says um, a second time at the very end, they say, hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. The the beginning of the destruction of the people of God here on earth will continue for all eternity. And I think that's just what it's talking about here. I think the the smoke will rise up from the city of Babylon uh, for a long time, but uh, the the smoke rising forever, I think, is also talking about their final, complete, eternal, irreversible judgment that will happen uh, in hell and lake of fire forever. Um, And for a thousand years, while Christ reigns on earth, Babylon, it'll be like Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember all this prophecy about Sodom and Gomorrah? This, this city of Babylon, the, 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 the ruins of Babylon and probably the plains of Megiddo where Christ wipes out all of his enemies will be a continual reminder for 1,000 years while he reigns on earth of his judgment and of his righteous reign, and he wiped out the wicked. So the earth will be scarred, if you want to say it that way, for 1,000 years for us to remember the righteousness of Christ when he returned and reigned on this earth, and we will see the, 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 the smoldering rubble of Babylon um, and, uh, and it will remind us, but it also talks about their future judgment. So that's the first chorus of hallelujah. Then you got this, this second chorus. Uh, it says, uh, and I'm calling it, the elders sing hallelujah. I'm just trying to differentiate this with the last, because after the, these angels sing hallelujah, and they talk about the destruction of the harlot, and, and they say hallelujah again, it says the 24 elders and the four living creatures who we've seen before the throne of God all since Revelation 4, and we, we just read a bunch of those things, fell down and worship God who sits on the throne, and they say, Amen, Amen, Hallelujah. So they, they basically are responding in agreement with what has already been said. They're responding in agreement. They're, they're praising the Lord for his judgment of the harlot, judgment of the sinfulness of the earth, and his redemption of his people. Um, and so the 24 elders, like I said, uh, we're, I, I'm not going to go back and put all those, I, don't, I didn't even put it up here. But if you look back at Revelation 4, 5, 7, 11, like we just saw, you see these 24 elders, uh, and you see these, these uh, four living creatures, these cherub that are on the throne of God, over and over and over, falling down before him, worshiping, falling down before him and worshiping. Uh, and they're always um, uh, either pr- proclaiming glory to the Lamb who was slain, or um, uh, they do that twice. Uh, when all the uh, in Revelation 7 when all the tribulation saints are there they're worshiping together with them and here they appear again at the very end agreeing with all the multitudes of heaven uh, with what they're singing Uh, and then like I said these are just the high-ranking powerful cherub around the throne Uh, they're all falling down and worshiping him who's on the throne and they're singing again hallelujah praise the Lord and it's a praise for the judgment of wicked and the redemption of his people Which leads us to, that was a quick one. Look at that. That was a really quick point. (laughs) The final one. (laughs) Uh, The saints singing hallelujah here uh, at the last part. i got to make sure we leave room for the marriage of the lamb. So the saints sing hallelujah. It says, and and a voice came from the throne, saying, give praise to our God, all you his bondservants, uh, you and the great. And I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder saying, Hallelujah for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. I love this. So first you see a voice from the throne coming out. We've seen this uh, in Revelation 16:7. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, It is done again. I don't think we can dogmatically say this is God. It could be God the Father. It could be the Lamb saying this. It could be a mighty angel proclaiming or calling out to the saints to glorify God. Uh, Whatever it is, this mighty voice is commanding the saints of God to worship him. Uh, And so, uh, like I said, if you look at Revelation 16, you could say, I think it's the same voice, and I think that's God, but you could say the same thing with, um, uh, 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 there's other places where a voice comes out of the temple, and it's an angel, especially in Revelation 14, we see that happen three times, Uh, either way, whoever the voice is, we can say, telling them to do. Give praise to God, all you, his bondservants. It's an all call for all the the slaves of God, those who have been bought with the blood of Christ. Uh, This this word, doulos, always refers to men. It always refers to those who belong to God, who are servants of God. It refers to to us, the redeemed, the church. Um, And so he's saying all those who fear the Lord and all those who belong to him are to praise him. Small, great, it doesn't matter, everyone Crying out. And then, and then look at the description of it. It says, I heard something like the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters, the sound of mighty peals of thunder, saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. This is the chorus of all the redeemed through all the ages. So again, if you look at it from Revelation 5 to here, here's everybody. We're all there. This is it. All of the church and all the redeemed through all the ages, all those who've been bought by the blood of Christ, they're all crying out in one huge voice singing praise the lord Um, and and the fullness of all these voices are so powerful that it describes the voices of these multitudes in the very same way that it has described the voice of god many times in the bible Uh, we talked about this again Uh, i can't remember where we uh where I i didn't write it down in here um, but we we studied this in one of our things in Revelation, where it talked about um, the sound being like uh, the sound of many waters, and that might have been Revelation 14 as well, and the sound of thunder. And we look back at the Old Testament and Ezekiel and Daniel and, and uh, Exodus, uh, many times where God spoke and it shook the earth and it sounded like it sounded like mighty waters or rushing waters or the sound of thunder, and it was the voice of God. Well, here you got the cumulative voice of all the saints of God and they cry out, or they sing out this hallelujah and it just, it's, I, I guess maybe you could say it this way, it just is so powerful, it's like the voice of God, it's just not saying it is the voice of God, it's just this powerful cumulative voice of all of the children of God saying hallelujah uh, uh, for the Lord uh, our God the almighty reigns um, and uh, this is the fourth hallelujah and basically, it's just a proclamation that the rule of Babylon has finally come to the end. The rule of the kingdom of Christ will begin. The harlot is gone, and the bride will soon come. And we're going to see that very, very soon. Um, and, uh, and, and basically, it's time for those who he has made to be a kingdom of priests and, and, and his people to come and rule and reign with him. In Revelation 5, it talks about them coming and reigning with him. In Revelation 11... It talks about um, the kingdom of the world becoming the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so here they're just declaring what's about to happen. The kingdom has been prepared. The time has come, and now the Father is going to say, go, and Christ will come to inherit the earth. We will inherit the earth together with him. The bride will come with the bridegroom, and we will rule and reign with him here on this earth. But before he comes, you got these next four verses that are very special and very neat and very unique. And we call this the marriage of the Lamb. Proclamations in verses seven through 10, it says, let us rejoice and be glad. Uh, Whether this is this cumulative groups all still saying this, it says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the Lamb has come. His bride has made herself ready and it was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous act of the saints and and he said to me right blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb and he said to me these are true words of god and then i fell at his feet to worship him and he said to me do not do that i am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the testimony of jesus worship god for the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy you got this marriage supper of the lamb which is I've always, you know this is one of those things in Scripture that I've never taken the time to, to dive into and dig through. And as I did, it just it was just not only just awesome, but it, it actually, like I said, I think it, it even brought to light things I had not thought about and things I had not even seen in the Word uh, before studying this. One of the things that I in the study that I just noticed throughout Scripture and, and many of the commentators talked about, and, and then as I started digging through some of these things that they were saying, it was just so cool. But you see marriage used throughout Scripture to, d- to illustrate and define God's relationship with his people. I mean, uh, many of us know that from Ephesians 5. We talk about that all the time, you know, how husbands are to lay down their lives for the wives and love and sanctify them, wash the water of the word, all that, how husband, wives are to submit to their husbands and love them. Uh, is a reflection of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ and it describes it as a marriage relationship, you know. And he even says that whole how husbands are to, to love their wives, he's saying, I'm speaking of Christ in the church. He's using Christ's love for the church, but he's saying, husbands, you in the same way, this is how you should love your wife. And so, you know, that one I already knew, but we started, I started looking at the Old Testament, uh, and in Isaiah 54, you got the Lord talking about uh, uh, being a husband to Israel, He says, for your husband is your maker, speaking to Israel, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you, speaking of Israel, like a wife forsaken and grieved in spirit, even like a wife of one's youth when she is rejected, says your God. So God talks about Israel, about him being a husband or a groom, about her being a bride. But you see Israel being a forsaken bride or like a harlot bride. You see that many times in the Old Testament. Isaiah 62 He says, for as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. Again, uh, speaking of the Lord being uh, the the husband. And here, um, uh, I I think maybe referring more to uh, the the future, uh, talking about the, the spotless bride. We'll talk about that in a second. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 32, in the middle of this whole new covenant stuff, He says, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, the house of Judah, not like the covenant made with your fathers in the day I took them out of the hand, uh, bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. So again, talking about Israel, talking about a marriage relationship. I mean, the whole book of Hosea talks about this. God, you know, the, the, the analogy is Israel is a bride, God is a husband. She has forsaken, her husband. She's gone out and, and become a harlot or become a prostitute and, and with many idols. Uh, but here he basically says, even though she broke the first covenant, he's still going to redeem his bride. Isaiah 16 again. Um, uh, this is this is actually very graphic, uh, and it talks about him finding. Israel. And if you go read uh, it, it, this and in Ezekiel, um, when. Yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. I was, it's Ezekiel 16. If you keep reading, it, it gets more and more graphic when he talks about her sinfulness and her harlotry. But here is when he finds her. And he says, um, uh, I, You grew up, you became tall, reached age to find ornaments, your breasts were formed, your hair had grown. Uh, yet you were naked and bare. I passed by you, I saw you behold you were at the time of love, So I spread my skirt over you and, can, and covered your nakedness. I also swore to you and entered into a covenant with you. So again, this is very, very uh, intimate um, language about God's relationship with Israel and its, its husband, wife imagery. Um, and he says, then I bathed you with water. I washed off the blood from you. I anointed you with oil. I clothed you with embroidered cloth, put sandals of porpoise skin on your feet. I wrapped you with fine linen, covered you with silk. This is all about God bringing out of Egypt and uh, the whole covenant that he made, the Mosaic covenant and the, the worship, the, the temple, all this, stuff, or the tabernacle. I adorned you with ornaments, put a ring around you, earrings, crown on your head. You were adorned with gold, silver, dressed of fine linen and silk. Basically, God took care of his bride you ate fine flour, honey, oil. You were exceedingly beautiful, advanced to royalty. And your fame went out amongst all the nations on account of your beauty. For it was, a, it was perfect because of my splendor, which I bestowed on you, uh, declares the Lord. And like I said, I left the quote off here. But if you keep reading, basically what happens, because of all that the Lord did for her and her fame and beauty and splendor, she then went out and, and, and began to become a harlot with with many other lovers, and and she took all this that God did for her, and she she spent it on her lusts and desire, and she became a used wife of harlotry that was then forsaken by the world, and again, the whole book of Hosea is a very... It was a, a, an illustration from Hosea's life, which was a description of God's relationship with his harlot bride, Israel. Now, all that being said, there's a point to point this out. Israel, got, in the Old Testament, you see Israel being a bride of God, but she was a harlot. She, she left her first love. She forsook her husband, and there's a, a, a broken relationship. Um, and so, But he, he will redeem her. There is a future. God, will, God didn't just divorce and then move on Um, but then you also have this imagery of the church and the church is never described as a harlot she's always a spotless bride a pure bride a virgin bride that is being prepared for this day this wedding feast and she'll return with her husband but there is still a future for this harlot bride israel she will be redeemed she will be brought in and i think what's neat is you just got this theme of marriage and god being a husband throughout the bible you have one image with israel She is a bride of harlotry. You have another image with the church. She is a pure, spotless, unblemished bride, not because of her goodness, but because of what Christ did for her. He washed her clean. But in the end, you're going to see them both be redeemed in two different unique ways, if you want to say it that way, but in the same way, through the same Messiah, through the same salvation. But it's just really cool if you look at it. There is a distinction between the two, but there's also a salvation that comes from the same source, by the same husband, in the same way, which is amazing. Um, so anyway, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I think it helps you to see, as a whole, the biblical thing here, because you have this marriage supper, which is with one of the groups, I want to say, and I think this is about the church, not Israel. I'm not saying that, that, that those who are saved and part of the redeemed are, and, and are in heaven are not are not there, but there's a distinction here between those who return with Christ in bodily form as he returns and breaks the heavens open, and then those who rise from the dead when he returns uh, and, and walk into the kingdom of Israel with these bodies. So again, that's a little bit of a, a jump into what's coming, but it's, it's fascinating. And, and like I said, you got, you, got, you got the husband on both sides, but you got different. You have a harlot bride, you have the pure spotless bride, and here we're talking about the pure spotless bride that is in heaven, uh, and this is the, the the beginning of the wedding ceremony. Second Corinthians eleven two, talking about the church, uh, uh, talks about this as well. Paul mentions uh, Christ being a, a a groom here or a husband. Uh, he says, "I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I betrothed you to one husband, uh, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin." Again, speaking of the church, uh, and so Paul's worried that they're being um, uh, seduced by. Uh, by, by other religions, by idolatry or harlotry. He's saying, no, listen, you have been wed to Christ. You are a, a pure virgin of him, him. Basically, don't do what Israel did and, and, and know God and then turn on Him and go after the world. Um, so again, understanding the analogy of Israel helps this verse to make more sense. And then, like I said, Ephesians 5, which I mentioned at the beginning, you have this analogy of Christ and the church And look at how he speaks of his bride, the church. Very different than how he speaks of his bride, Israel. Uh, He says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. So again, leave off husbands, love your wives. That's the command for us, that's the imperative command for you and me as men on this earth that are married. But let's look at the substance behind the imperative command for us. Christ loved the church, and he gave himself up for her. Why? So that he might sanctify her, the church having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but she will be holy and blameless. It's the church that is the pure, spotless bride of Christ, that has been bought by Christ and washed by Christ, and then will be presented to Christ as his pure and spotless bride. It's the church. We're not talking about Israel here. So I want to make distinctions, not to say that the church has replaced Israel. We're not at all saying that. There's obviously a future for Israel. There must be a future for Israel. There has to be a redemption of the harlot bride, but there's a distinction between the harlot and the pure, spotless bride here. Does that make sense? But they're all still gonna be redeemed by one husband who is Christ, the Messiah of Israel, the the Savior and Lord of the church. It says, he who loves his own wife loves himself. Um, No one hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. So I'm pointing this out to say I really believe Revelation 19, 7 through 10, is talking about the spotless, unblemished bride, the church, who is there at the marriage supper of the Lamb, that will return in bodily, in their, in their glorified, redeemed bodies together with Christ as he bursts the heavens open. And I think there's a distinction there between that. And the prophecies of Israel, that they'll rise from the dead, that they'll walk into the kingdom, that he will redeem them to. I mean, they will be saved just as well in, this, in, in, in like manner through the blood of Christ. And we will all be one bride, if you want to say it that way, in Christ during the thousand years and for all eternity. But there's, this is about the church. And uh, so anyway, and if you've got a problem with that, that's totally fine. I'm, I'm working this out as I'm working through it. This was, this was new thinking for me. But this marriage has been determined in eternity past. I think you can look at other scriptures and you can look at this marriage theme and you see that the father has made arrangements with his son to give him a spotless bride. I mean, these things were foreordained before the foundation of the world. um, That uh, several thousand years um, of betrothal and preparation have happened, if you want to say it that way. I mean, even from Adam until the rapture. Um, that the, uh, We know that the groom laid down his life to pay for his bride and prepare her. We just talked about that. We know that the groom has been preparing a place for her. We see that in John 14 where he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I will come back for you, and I will take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be also. So he's taking her to his father's house, which, again, is very similar to Old Testament marriage uh, um, uh, terminology. Um, and like I said, I think the, the groom coming for his bride, if you want to continue to take the marriage... the the way that marriage works is the rapture. He'll come and he'll take his bride. Uh, The the dead will rise with him. If you look at, actually, I think I put this up here. Did I do Thessalonians? This is kind of cool. If you look at the rapture, and this is distinct and different from the first resurrection after Christ returns. This is not the first resurrection. This is the rapture of the church, but look what he says. Paul telling the Thessalonians, he says, uh, we we don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so those who have already died in Christ, so that you will not grieve as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. This is different than Israel terminology, and different than first resurrection terminology, and different than millennial resurrection and redemption terminology. This is a very weird, unique piece of scripture. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, so that's good to know, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, those who have not died when this happens, will not precede those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Uh, He says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. This is not talking about the second coming. Uh, It says, and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first and then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds, and we will meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. I think putting this together with the marriage and with other things that we know, again, this is distinct from the whole he returns, the dead rise in Christ, and they're on earth with him. This is not on earth with him. This is in heaven with him. But here you have bodily resurrection, bodies ascending or being raptured taken up into heaven and this is the church the church will be gathered the dead and the alive will be gathered why are they being gathered in heaven in bodily form in their new bodies i think for this for the marriage supper of the lamb and then they return does that make sense if it doesn't make sense i'm with you <laughs> we're, we're getting there but but i mean if you put all these together there is this bodily resurrection that precedes the the resurrection of the dead on earth that we see in revelation uh 20 that we're going to talk about it's a bodily resurrection with those who are alive and caught up together with them and they're in their bodies in heaven why i mean that it just the the only thing i can think of is this because of this because of the beginning of the ceremony of the marriage of christ and then they will return with him. They'll come to the earth. The other dead will rise. And, and it's basically a thousand-year marriage ceremony until he finishes wiping out evil with the second rebellion after Satan's release. you got the new heavens and the new earth. We're, we're one with him for all eternity, you know? So I'm still working it out, but that's what I think. All right, so, and he says, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. Rejoice, be glad, give glory. It just means to be overjoyed, extremely joyful and giving him honor, splendor, glory, um, and, uh, and, and basically it's a call to all the heavenly attendees of this wedding, including angels, elders, living creatures, all the heavenly hosts, There witness, there to witness the wedding of the bride and the lamb. And, and the reason that, that there's a, a, the reason for this is, uh, they're all there to rejoice and to be glad because the marriage of the lamb has come. It's time for the wedding, the consummation of the union between Jesus Christ and his bride, the church, the people of God, it, it's, it's the beginning. And like I said, I think this is a wedding ceremony that lasts a thousand years. And Israel will be a part of it. It's just, it's just not here yet. Does that make sense? We'll return with him. We'll be on this earth. Israel, all the dead who were there uh, that weren't part of the church will rise in him and be redeemed, just like he said in the Old Testament. And we will all be one together in him. No distinction. Together in Christ. But this is the beginning, and I think this is something for the church in heaven, uh, and we're, they're all rejoicing because it's time for the ceremony, the wedding to begin. The harlot is gone, and the bride's time has come. And, um, and I think it'll be, like I said, a wedding ceremony that lasts 1,000 years until Revelation 21.1. And actually, again, this is something that we just got to get there, and I got to wrap my mind around it, because in Revelation 21.1, you see the final consummation of this union when... The New Jerusalem descends out of heaven, comes sits on the earth, and he says, The bride, I don't, I don't have it in front of me, but basically the, the bride uh, that is that has been prepared. Actually, it's right here. Then I saw the new heavens, the new earth, 21-1. The first heaven and earth passed away, there's no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And then actually, if you go over, it says it again in Revelation twenty-one. Uh, Where is it? Uh, Here it comes. Oh, yeah, uh, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues came and spoke and said, Come here, and I will show you the bride or the wife of the lamb. So, like I said, if you want to just take the marriage terminology, it seems to me like this is the beginning of the ceremony. It's a thousand-year ceremony. Israel becomes a part of that. For that thousand years, it's just a celebration of Christ here on earth with all of his people but there's still a final battle that has to be done at the very end and evil completely wiped out. And then you got the new heavens and the new earth and the presentation. It's like the, it's the end. It's the, it's the final consummation and the eternal marriage of all the people of God together with, with their, their their husband. Uh, and, 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 and he gives all things over to his father and, and we're all one in God, you know? And we don't even know. I mean, the new heavens and the new earth, we don't have much about that because we don't need to know about that yet. But Anyway, so this is just the beginning of the celebration that, like I said, I think will last for a thousand years here on earth it's a pretty awesome wedding ceremony um and and Lord willing, all of us will be there uh, together with him and 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 some of the reasons that I think this is just the church, and this is just let me throw these out there, and then you can ask questions that I probably can't answer so uh <laughs> I think one of the reasons this is the church and not Israel uh is because First thing, like we already showed, Israel is identified as a bride to God, and God the husband or the groom, but, but most, if not all, of the time, she's a, a, a wife who becomes a harlot every time. There's a redemption for the harlot, like I said, you'll see that, but, but the church is always seen as a spotless virgin uh, that is without blemish or stain, not a harlot. Uh, secondly, the church. The church was promised to reign on Christ's throne together with him, not Israel. That's something that's un- unique terminology to the church. Second Timothy, uh, Timothy 2.12, it says, If we endure, we will reign with him. When is that reigning going to be? I mean, the only time possible for that mutual, mutual reigning is during the thousand-year kingdom uh, when we return together with him uh revelation 321 talks about the church specifically speaking of the church in laodicea it says he who overcomes i will grant to sit down with me on my throne again, it's talking to the church not to israel uh, as i also overcame and to sit on my father's throne and then revelation 5 9 through 10 again uh, speaking to those who he has bought with his blood referring to the church he says you've made them into a kingdom of priests and they will reign upon the earth and again i think the only time for that to happen in the way that he's talking about it, and that's unique terminology for the church is is uh, during the thousand years. Another thing, I think this, you know, significant, but not like, uh, you know, I don't think you can be dogmatic about it, but if you ta- if you look at what Jesus said during the, the Last Supper, he talks to uh, the disciples in Matthew 26, Mark 14, Luke 22. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with you, or new with you, in my Father's kingdom. And again, I think that the only timetable for that to happen that we know of is during the millennial reign of Christ, which again, I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily mean it's only the church, but I think that's just one more piece to throw in there. makes it look like it's the church, not Israel. Um, the apparel of Christ's army is the same apparel that's described with the bride. Here, you know, in, in Revelation 19.8, here we have her clothed in fine linen, bright and clean. And then when he bursts the heavens open and comes with his armies, All those who come with him are dressed the exact same way, which means I think that the armies that come with him is the bride. It's the church. They've come dressed in fine linen, bright and clean, um, and uh, those are the ones following him on the white horses. And, like I said, I already kind of pointed this out, in 1 Corinthians 15 and in 1 Thessalonians 4, we read 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Thessalonians 15 He says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed in the moment and twinkling of an eye. The last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised and perishable. We will be changed, for this perishable must put on imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. Now, you could say, again, this is fine, if you want to say, Well, I think that's the first resurrection after the return of Christ. But in the context of him talking about Christ being the first fruits and rising from the dead, and we will rise together in Christ, it makes more sense to me that that is the same thing he's talking about in 1 Thessalonians 4, when the dead and those who are alive are all raised bodily and caught up together with Him. And if if that is true, either way, you still got to wrestle with 1 Thessalonians 4, but there is some sort of resurrection and clothing and and change and transformation bodily before. The other resurrection, the first resurrection, I'm using a Revelation 20 terminology, is a first and second resurrection. Second resurrection is the dead to be judged with eternal fire. But all that being said, I just think it's just one more thing that I believe makes a distinction between the church already being in heaven at the marriage supper of the Lamb, then returning bodily with Christ, clothed in white, to reign on earth with him for a thousand years that is distinct and different than the first resurrection of the dead, which I think probably refers to Israel and the Old Testament saints, and it would fulfill all those promises of, of them rising from the dead, like he talks about in Ezekiel, uh, you know, the, the whole vision of the valley of dry bones and all that, uh, and, um, and all the promises of, of him redeeming them, redeeming the land and the nation, all that, him reigning on David's throne as king and them being there with him and being the nation of Israel. So, um, like I said, It doesn't mean there's gonna be a distinction for all eternity, there's just a distinction now. There's a distinction here, and we'll all be saved by the same Messiah, Savior, Lord, Christ, um, but in our own unique ways. And I think this marriage supper of the Lamb is the church, the bodily church, beginning this celebration uh, of uh, uh, the ceremony of of the wedding of um, Christ and his people. Um, I had more here in John. There's a lot of things in John where he talks about, you know, all those who have given to him. He's made children of God. He loses none. They're given to him. And on the last day, he will raise them up. He will be the one that gives them life. Um, them, him, be, you know, us being clothed in Christ now. Uh, the, even the um, uh, the parable, again, I don't think you can read all these marriage parables into this. The virgin, you know, that, that didn't trim their wicks and all that sort of stuff. Those are parables that are meant for other things. You know, be ready when he comes. That's not talking about the wedding of the lamb. And um, uh, and then the guy that wasn't clothed uh, in wedding clothes. Again, that's talking about the church now, but it, the, the the analogy makes sense. I mean, there's going to be no one not dressed in Christ at this. I mean, these are only those who have, risen in him and are together with him. Uh, it won't be like the church here now where we have some that are not clothed in Christ but are still partaking of the things of Christ. So anyway, but that's the marriage supper of the Lamb. He basically says, blessed are those who are invited. Uh, again, um, this is uh, those who are invited are those who are chosen by him. These are all those who have died in him. Um, and... Uh, uh, yeah, these are the true words of God. And then he falls at his feet and worships him. Real quick on this. Basically, I don't know why John worships this angel, uh, but it's probably just one of those mind-blowing things, and he falls down, and the angel's like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm a servant like you. Get up. You worship him. Uh, and I think that's, there's, you don't have to, we don't have to dig into that. But this last statement is good. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That's a cool verse. Because basically, I think what it's saying is all prophecy testifies about Jesus Christ, old and new. The testimony... What prophecy is all about? The whole thing is to show you Christ. From old to new, all the way through, all of prophecy, the testimony of prophecy is Christ. It's always Christ. And again, what better way to conclude an eschatology kind of thing? It's like, this is about Christ. It's not just about figuring out things and being like, let's be future tellers. This is about us worshiping Christ, imitating Christ, submitting to Christ, following Christ, trying to be like Christ, living in holiness, and, and worshiping him alone. Um, and nothing else. And so um, it's just a really uh, great verse there at the very end. Um, Prophets were just instruments of God used to convey his truth about his son and his redemptive work. And for that reason, I think we all, not only can say hallelujah, judge evil, save your people, and we long for this day to come, but let's live in light of that today. Uh, Submit to him. Be godly men, godly workers, godly fathers, godly husbands, godly moms, godly uh, wives strive to live in submission to him so that one day we will celebrate with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, any questions? <laughs> Thank you guys for enduring with me. <laughs>